so good to be with you. I get to be on staff here at the Erie campus and we get to open up God's Word each Sunday and we are in a series through the book of Exodus. And if you're new and just joining us, Exodus is this historical account of God's epic rescue of his people, the Hebrew people that were stuck in bondage in a place of, called Egypt. And God had had seen their cries, had heard their cries, and he had known intimately their struggles, and so he was coming down to rescue them out of it. And we have a lot to get to today, so I got no time for shenanigans. We're going to be in Exodus, and we're going to continue our study of who God is through the book of Exodus. That it's important for us to know that God desires to make himself known. He desires that you would know him, not that you would have a sense of an imagination of what he should be like or how you should think God to be, but how he has revealed himself to be through his word. And so we open this every single week. Do you know why? Because God desires to make himself known, and we look at his words to see how has he made himself known. Who is this God of the Bible? And we want to look in here and investigate what has he done? What has he said? What does he say about me? And so we're going to continue this with the story of Exodus. We're in the fourth week, and we're going to be in the fourth chapter of Exodus. Now, if you haven't caught up or haven't seen the first three, I would encourage you, go home, get yourself a cheeseburger, whatever, and just binge watch those first three episodes. It's going to be great. And then you'll be all caught up to what we're doing. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter four. We're actually going to start in chapter three today. And we're going to be in a familiar scene. This is the call of Moses where God calls Moses to be commissioned to go back to Egypt and be his chosen instrument of deliverance, that he would set the Hebrew people free from the slavery of Egypt. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read about 23 verses or so. It's very colorful. And then we're going to ask ourselves, do we really know this story as well as we think we do? And so let's open it up. Exodus, we'll start in chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, a white one. You can grab your tablet or whatnot, um, but all the, all the scriptures will be on the screen today. But it's just fun to have your own Bible and like turn in it, circle things. Maybe not. Okay. I'm like a three-year-old. Here we go. Exodus chapter three. We'll start in verse nine, kind of where we left off last week. And now this is God says, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. Now we'll be in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back in your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who was seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. This is maybe a familiar story to many who have been around the church for a while. If it's, if it's not familiar, you're thinking, this story is crazy. This is wild that Moses would speak to God about these things. And I could understand his objection. I mean, here's Moses just minding his own business in Midian as a shepherd. And then God calls to him and gives him this plan that he's going to go to Egypt. I mean, the powerhouse of the known world. And he's going to speak to the king of Egypt. And convince the king of Egypt to release possibly more than two million slaves? The backbone of his economy? Of course Moses says, who am I to do this? I mean, it's like, whoa, this this is the first I'm hearing about it. There's a lot of information to process. Who am I? I'm going to need to sit down and take a moment. Or his objection of, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to say, God didn't appear to you. I mean, everybody's going to say that to Moses. You're crazy. God didn't speak to you. Or I understand. I mean, maybe he doesn't have public speaking. Maybe he's not trained in that area. And to to speak publicly in front of the people and to speak in front of Moses, I mean, I can understand. I'm not eloquent. I could resonate with with Moses' sense of inadequacy. And the desire of, like, just, just send someone else. Surely there's a better qualified candidate that's more competent than me for you to send back to Egypt. That's probably how we've often heard this is that Moses is well aware of his inadequacies and he's kind of inadequacies and he's, he's shocked 
that God has called him, me, Moses, little Moses, to go to Egypt and set these people free. But that's probably not the whole story. I've been really helped this week by several commentators, by several other pastors around these areas. And I, I want to help you see perhaps maybe something more what's going on here that's illuminated for us by the New Testament, and specifically a man named Stephen. So Stephen was a studied man in the history of the Hebrew people. And Stephen comes right after Jesus, and he's, he's making an appeal to the leaders of Israel that God throughout history has been moving on behalf of Israel, has been bringing in this promised rescuer. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these promises. That God has brought his son Jesus Christ to fulfill all the things that have been prophesied throughout history. That he fulfills perfectly all the details of what the rescuer would do and who the rescuer would be. And that Christ accomplished this on the cross to bring people out of bondage to slavery to sin and the consequence of death. And there to convince the religious leaders of the day that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he appeals to the history of Israel and what God has been doing throughout all their history. And part of that history was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And part of that history was Moses. And so here Stephen recounts the story of Moses to the leaders of Israel to remind them of what Moses had done, what Moses had been called to. And so here's Acts chapter seven. So keep a finger here in Exodus and flip on over to Acts. Acts is in the New Testament, most of your way to the right. And you're gonna find Acts chapter seven. And we are going to pick up in, where are we picking up in? Verse 22, that's right. Verse 22, where he says, I'm almost there. There we go. Oh, I'm in Acts 8. That's why it was confusing. Oh my goodness. Whew. All right, verse 22. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words... And deeds. Just pause that for a second. So Stephen tells us that in this first 40 years that Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh, he was amongst the elite. He went to the Ivy League schools of Egypt. He had the best tutors, the best instructors. Historians like Josephus tell us that many military victories were attributed to Moses as the commander of the army, the leader of the army. He had a working knowledge of mathematics, of astronomy, of science, and biology. He spoke not only his native language, but other languages. Moses was mighty in words and deeds. He was amongst the elite. Moses is not riffraff. Moses is highly trained and competent. That's who Moses was. And 40 years under that instruction, in that household, Moses thrived, Stephen tells us. And there's one day, it says, when he was 40 years old, so 40 years of instruction, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. So here's Moses, and he knows he's a Hebrew. He knows his story of being rescued by his mother. His stepmom and growing up in, in Pharaoh's household. He knows that he probably has a brother named Aaron and a sister named Miriam. And one day after 40 years, as the mighty man in word and deed, it came into his heart that he should go see his brothers, 
Because he identifies, he knows that I am a Hebrew man. And so Moses goes and sees what they're doing. And seeing one of them being wronged, one of his Hebrew brothers, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down, that's killing, this Egyptian taskmaster. So Moses, who's the prince of Egypt, steps in to, to see his brothers and sees one being oppressed, being taken advantage of because they're slaves. And he steps in and strikes down the Egyptian. Now, if you remember the account from Exodus, it's very similar to this. It adds a couple of details to this account. And this is Exodus chapter 2, where we see what, what Moses is doing. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. So Moses goes and sees his brother's he sees one being oppressed as a slave under a taskmaster. And he says, he looks this way, and he looks that way. Seeing no one, he intervenes and strikes down, kills this Egyptian taskmaster. Why does Moses look this way and that way? Why do you look this way and that way to make sure there's not a police officer? Because you know you're doing something wrong. Why do you look this way to see if dad's home? Or that way to see if mom's in the kitchen. Because you know you're about to do something wrong. And so here's Moses in his own heart, his own plan, to come see how his brothers and sisters are doing. And seeing one oppressed, he looks this way and that way. Because he knows he's about to do something, take something into his own hands that he shouldn't do. And he strikes down the Egyptian. And knowing that now he has a body, he buries it in the sand. Chuck Swindoll has, has a really great section on this on, in his book on Moses. Not exactly, I don't remember exactly word for word, but basically Swindoll says this, anytime you try to accomplish God's will by your own power and plan, we always leave bodies in the sand. Whenever we try to accomplish God's will by our own power and our own plan, we have to bury bodies in the sand. We, we, we know that there's half-truths that we've told that maybe people will find out about. We know there's backroom deals that have gotten us where we are, but we can't really tell anyone. And so there are these bodies in our line of history that no one knows about, buried in the sand as we've tried to take things into our own hands. That's what Moses has done here. Now, why does Moses do that? Well, look at what Stephen tells us back in Acts 7. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they didn't understand. They didn't get it. See, perhaps in Horeb, when he's speaking to God, in the episode we read earlier, this isn't the first time that Moses is aware of what God has called him to. Perhaps this is an earlier account of Moses acting by his own hand, his own power and his own plan, to bring about what God has, has called him to, which is the, to bring liberty to the, to the Hebrew people who are enslaved in Egypt. And he says, you see, I did this. I knocked him down. I stood up for you. I stood up for you and I used my strength. I used my sword to take down the oppression. And I supposed they would understand that God was giving them salvation. That I was going to set them free by my hand. But they didn't understand. 
They didn't get what I was doing for them. I was doing it for them, and they didn't get it. Moses goes back home to the palace, and the following day he comes back down to see his brothers and sisters, now probably identifying with them as liberator. So Stephen tells us, on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? So he comes down and says, okay, now I'm with the Hebrew people. I'm, it's going to be its, it's liberator, its source of salvation. Now I'm going to separate these two that are fighting. Like, we're brothers. Let me help resolve a conflict. And what do they say to Moses? This is what they say to Moses. But the man who was wrong, who was wronging his neighbor, thrust him aside saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? His response is, who died and made you king? Why should we listen to you? You can't convince us that you are the one who's going to judge us or make things right. Are you going to kill me? You're a murderer. Like you killed the Egyptian yesterday. We know about the body in the sand. And hearing that, Moses is terrified. And Stephen says to us at the very end, at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. We know from previous weeks that here Moses hears that Pharaoh is going to kill him. And now Moses flees into the wilderness. As the commander of the Egyptian army, he runs to the one place you can't bring an army, into the desert. He runs there with no provision, no water, no extra tunic. He just flees as a fugitive trying to save his life. And just imagine being Moses, day one, just the fear of, man, I, I tried to save these people. They didn't understand, they didn't listen, and, and they're out to kill me now, hiding in rocks, ducking behind boulders, surviving the nights with nothing, multiple day journeys through the deserts. Exodus told us that Moses came and sat down next to a well, a well in a town called Midian. And there he was around other shepherds and some other women, drawing perhaps his first cup of water in days. And I'll, I'll tell you what I would say if I were Moses. This isn't in the Bible. This is what I would say if I were Moses. I ain't never going back. Like, I'm never going back to that place. What happened in Egypt stays in Egypt. And I'm going to start a new life out here. No one needs to know who I am, what I've done, but I'm never going back. In fact, that whole idea that I would help set the Hebrew people free, why'd I ever do that? Like, who am I to have done that? What was I thinking? Who am I that they would listen to me? And they, they didn't listen. Gosh, they didn't understand. God, they didn't understand what I was doing. I'm not very good at convincing them. I guess I must not be eloquent enough. And 40 years happens where God is now reshaping Moses' life. And 40 years in Midian, he goes from having 40 years of school at the, at the prestigious schools of Egypt. And now he's in the hard knock schools of Midian. Of what it means to be a shepherd. Caring for sheep. Protecting sheep. Providing for his livestock. Walking in the wilderness with his father-in-law's animals. And then God calls to him, Moses, Moses, I have seen 
And I have heard, and I intimately know the sufferings and the cries of my people. And I have come down, and I'm sending you as my instrument of liberation. And there Moses gives four excuses. Moses is reluctant to respond to God's call. And here are the four excuses that Moses gives. Who am I? They won't believe me or listen to me. I'm not eloquent. Not me. What's Moses' primary excuse? There's a whole lot of me in there, isn't there? I can't do this. Where's that come from? I think it comes from I already tried. I already tried. I already tried as one of the most significant figures in all of Egypt. I tried. When I was the strongest in my life, I tried. Who am I now? I mean, I'm a shepherd. A worn out shepherd. Who am I to set these people free now? That was a lifetime ago. He says, okay, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. I already tried to tell them. And they wouldn't understand. I'm not eloquent. I must not be eloquent enough. Send somebody else. Not me. I've already said, I ain't going back to Egypt. Now, it's amazing that I love that, that Moses uses this excuse, I'm not eloquent. Because he sure seems to be a good objector to everything God has called him to. He's got good excuses. He seems rather eloquent in his excuses of why he can't follow what God's calling him to. But he has a me problem. I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not convincible enough. I'm not going. And what is God's response to all of Moses' objections? We talked about this last week. It's, I'm with you, Moses. It's not about you. I know you're not enough. See, it's so different than how we would speak to someone today. God doesn't come to Moses and say, Moses, you're good enough. Who are you? Man, remember the good old days? Remember all the training that you had? Remember the degrees that you hold? Remember the accomplishments that you have? Remember all those things? You are enough. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And gosh darn it, Moses, people like you. No, he doesn't say that. He says to Moses, I am with you, but I will be with you. That's chapter 3, verse 13. I will be with you. And then when Moses says, they're not going to believe me. They won't listen to me. What does God say? I'll be with you in power of signs and wonders. That they would listen to the signs and wonders. That's me being displayed through you. I'll be with you in power. Not your own power, not your own strength, not your own cleverness, but I will be there. And then when he says, but my mouth is not very good. I get tongue-tied. I'm not very eloquent. What does God say? Who's made your mouth? I mean, come on, Moses. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have knit you together in your mother's womb so that the way that you are formed is perfect to display my works under the world. And he encourages Moses by saying, I will be with your mouth. I will speak for you, through you. In fact, I'll give you a buddy I'm going to give you Aaron. He says, well, I'm not going. Well, okay, you're not going to go alone. I will go with you through a community. I'll give you a buddy, Aaron. And Aaron will go with you, and I will be with you both. 
so that you know that I am with you. And it's not on your own strength that you're going to accomplish this, but in relationship with me. Which gets to the point of today. If you remember one thing from today, this is what this episode is teaching us today. That our confidence, our confidence does not rely on our competence, but on God's capacity. Our confidence does not rely on our competence, but on God's capacity. To accomplish the thing that God has called you to. To be the wife that God has called you to be. To be the mom that God has called you to be. To be the husband that God has called you to be. To be the father that he has called you to be. To be the son or daughter. To be single or married. To be in community. All of those things can be daunting. And what is the source of our confidence? It is not our own competence, our own skills, our own accomplishments, our own degrees. No, our confidence rests in God's capacity. What God is able to do, that's where our confidence comes from. What God will do as we walk with him. Remember, Stephen kind of breaks down Moses' life into three sections. That he was 40 years in Egypt, he was 40 years in Midian, and 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses died when he was 120. And there are these three seasons in which God is transforming Moses. So here's the three parts. Part one, Moses is trusting in his own competency. I will free them by my hand. And they didn't understand. Season two in Midian, where God meets with Moses today. Moses doubting his own competency. I don't have what it takes. Who am I? I tried. They won't listen. I'm just a shepherd. Which is prime for where God's going to take him in his final 40 years, which is Moses depending on God's capacity. They're about to see Moses return to Egypt, not by his own strength, not by his own insights, not with his own cleverness, but trusting in the capacity of God. Let me ask you this. What season are you in right now? What season do you live in? Do you live in this season where it's your own competency to conquer the world? Do you live in this season where you're just trusting in your own abilities, your own intellect, your own health? Has that come and gone? And you've seen a bit of where you end. You've seen the end of your rope and your own of your abilities. And now when we say God is calling you to these things to follow him, you say, ah, that's another lifetime ago. I'm retired now. I'm older now. Let that for the young bucks. Do you doubt your own competency? And here's this last one. Or do you live in a season in which you depend on God's capacity? You say, I don't know how we're going to do it. But I know that God has called me to this. And his grace is sufficient for what I need today. I rest in his capacity. That's where we find our strength is resting in relationship with God. Here's the second key point. So we gave the first one. Here's our second one. Our strength does not come from what we can do, but who we do it with. It does not rest in what you can do. I'm so thankful that there are so many people in this room that are brilliant. I mean, you are brilliant. You hold PhD degrees, from amazing universities, the things you have accomplished and built and sold and rebuilt. It's unbelievable the amount of talent in this room. 
What makes Calvary great, what makes the body of Christ great, is not what we can do with those skills. It's what we do with God. It's who we do it with. It's resting in his capacities, not our own competencies. That's what God is teaching Moses here. Now you're asking yourself, okay, if I have to grow away from self-confidence and grow into confidence with God, how do you grow in confidence? How does one grow in resting in God's capacity as opposed to our own competencies? I mean, that's a challenging thing, especially in today's culture, where culture says, you have what it takes, dig deep down inside, you are good enough, the strength's within you. How do you do that? There's three things that I see specifically from our episode today. Here are three things to grow in our confidence of God's capacity. First is to know God's word, to follow God's way, and then to know and follow in community. That we would know God's word. When, when God comes and speaks with Moses, he shows up and he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm the one that's made a covenant with them, and now I am fulfilling on everything that I've promised. What's God doing with Moses? He's giving him his word. You can trust what I have done. I'm going to speak to you my word. What I have done and what I have accomplished will give you confidence to trust me that I'll do it again. That's what he's giving Moses, is that you have seen me move before. You know the stories of how I've moved for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, for my people, and I'm going to do it again. And so we open up God's word, this whole thing, to say, God, teach me your word. Speak to me. What have you done? Show me where you have rescued, where you have delivered, where you have promised, so that I can have the confidence that you'll do it again. That's how we open up God's word. So here's, here's what Moses is learning in God's word in the active sense, to know what God's currently speaking to them. He starts telling him things to do. So the second thing is, not only does he know God's words, what he has done, but he would know God's way, that he would be obedient to what God's calling him to do. And so this first one in chapter four is, okay, well, we're gonna do great signs and wonders. What do you have in your hand there? And he's holding a shepherd's staff, a stick. And God doesn't say, okay, here's the confidence. I'm gonna bring you a magic wand. It's like this wand came from heaven. Now this magic wand, I put my confidence in the magic wand. No, he says, what do you have in your hand? A stick. He doesn't say, okay, I'm gonna make you a demigod and, and Maui's hook is gonna come down from the heavens and you can trust in the hook. No, he says, what do you have? I have an ordinary stick. I found this on the ground. Okay. Well, then not to put your trust in the stick, but trust in the one that will empower this. I will, I'm going to show you things. And so he says, okay, take that stick and throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. Now, Moses is terrified of this snake. Is this the first time he's ever seen a snake? He's 80 years old, warrior from Egypt, shepherd in Midian. You think this is the first time he's seen a snake? You ever think this is the first time you've seen a snake like this? Yeah. I don't know what that snake looks like. But if Moses is scared, I would have just died. <laughs> and God tells him the most peculiar thing. Pick it up from its tail. He says, pick it up from the tail. Now, no one picks up a snake, a poisonous snake, from the tail. That's the dumbest thing. Maybe Moses doesn't know. You know, maybe God doesn't know how you pick up a snake. Now, what's God doing? 
I'm going to show you that I have authority over this. And, and a snake is, is the image of, of Egypt as divine. It's, it's, it's marked on everything that the Pharaoh had. What's God saying? I, I have full authority over Egypt. Pick it up by its tail. And Moses, with fear, obeys God. He follows God's way. This doesn't make sense. And he picks it up by its tail and becomes a staff. And so he follows God's way. He knows God's word and he follows God's way. And then in this great fear, what does God do for him? He gives him a buddy. He gives him Aaron. So he doesn't do it alone. He's going to do this in the community. So this is for us to say, okay, we want to know God's word what he has done. We want to follow God's way and and see it lived out in our own life, see God come through for us in our own life. This is how it comes through for me, to trust God and to see God move on my behalf when I think this is not the best way. Like when God says, forgive one another who have harmed you, and I say, I don't want to forgive anybody. He says, don't even forgive them. I mean, you should bless them and pray for them. And I say, okay, God, it just seems like I'm picking up a snake from the tail. I'm going to do it. And see how God restores relationships how God allows me to forgive and brings mending to my own heart. It's like, wow, God, you, your capacity is so far beyond me. My confidence is resting in you and no longer in myself. And so to know and to follow, we do it with one another. The, the, the following God, being transformed, being conformed to the image of Christ is not, a, not an individual's activity, an event. But we do it together. This is why things like base camp exist. That you would be in community knowing God's word and, and trusting God together. This is why women's groups and men's groups, with a church our size, we want to intentionally get smaller so that you can be known and know others in community. And so our confidence would grow. Here's what I think is so cool about God. Is God is transforming Moses in these two seasons, 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in Midian. He's transforming him to be ready to be the liberator that God has called him to be. He's transforming him. That when Moses was the prince of Egypt wielding the sword, he could not free God's people from slavery. And now Moses, a shepherd in Midian, holding a staff, is ready to go. Why? Because he's going to do it with God. He's not going to do it on his own strength, his own power. He will do it out of the capacity of who God is. And I love that God has transformed him and made him into a shepherd instead of this warrior with a sword. Because this shepherd is what reflects other leaders of Israel and points us to Jesus. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses has been a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Speaking of the good shepherd to come, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And I lay my life down for my sheep. I lay my life down for my sheep. And my sheep, they know my voice. They know it. And my sheep follow me. And that is the confidence that we have is that God is our shepherd. That he is the one that provides for us. He is the one that protects us. He's the one that leads us out to pasture. He's the one that brings us to a place that actually brings life to us. He is the good shepherd that leads all who trust in him out of the bondage of death into a place of promise, of eternal life. This is who Psalm 23 is speaking about. Psalm 23 is speaking about our good shepherd. 
Listen to Psalm 23 in light of Christ. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because, for, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord with him forever. Forever. And our strength does not come in the midst of the shadow of death. Of what we can do. But who who we're there with. Our confidence to navigate the griefs and the sorrows that we have. Does not come from our own competencies. But his capacity. This is what the Christian knows. This is what the Christian trusts. Is that the God who has revealed himself has revealed him as the one who hears and sees and knows you. He knows the week you've had. He knows the week you're about to have. And in all the griefs that you hold, all the burdens you bear, all the wisdom you lack, the invitation is, invite me in to be with you. Invite me in so you don't walk alone. Invite me in that I would be the good shepherd who would lead you through. I love at the end of our text here in Exodus, verse 20 of chapter 4. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand and returned to Egypt. Why did, why did Moses all of a sudden have the confidence to go to Egypt? Because he was going with God. Here's my question. Where's your confidence found today? Where's your confidence found? Have you reached the end of yourself yet? If you're not in a season right now, which just seems to be the end of yourself, beyond your rope, Just wait for tomorrow. (laughs) I often find myself in seasons like this where I am beyond my own skills. The tools in my own toolbox aren't worth it. They don't work. And that's where I love to be found because in my weakness, oh man, God has made great. In my weakness, God has made great. Do you know his word? Do you follow his way? Are you doing it within community? This is where your confidence in his capacity is built. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God that desires to be known. Lord, I thank you that you don't remain obscure. Lord, I thank you that you have made yourself known through your words and that you are present and personal in our life. And so, Lord, I pray for our community. I pray for every single woman and man in this room this morning. I pray that whatever season that they're in, that they would trust in who you are and what you're able to do. Lord, I pray that you would take the words that we investigated this morning out of Exodus and Acts and that you would open up eyes and ears in this room to hear and to see who you are. 
that we would know that you are trustworthy, that you are good, and that you are the safest place to run to in our time of troubles. And so, Lord, as we reach the end of ourselves, may we run into the arms of the Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.